Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald. This is the Executive Girlfriends Group. It is Friday, November 11th, 11, 11, 11. And it is my pleasure today to introduce to you, actually backed by popular demand, Lois Frankel and uh, her author partner, Carol Frolinger. And they have written a book called Nice Girls Just Don't Get It. 99 Ways to Win the Respect You Deserve, the Success You've Earned, and the Life That You Want. And I would like to just uh, jump right in and have you guys give us a little bit of background personally. Uh, where do you live? Uh, you know, a couple of your uh, your statistics about life. And then uh, tell us how you guys ended up collaborating on this book. Lois, would you like to go first? Sure. Uh, I live in Pasadena, California, and uh, but I'm a native New Yorker. And I like to, you know, I like to say that I love living in California now because I have never once had to shovel snow or put storm windows on my windows or snow tires on my car. So uh, even though I'm a native New Yorker, I think uh, this is probably where I, where I'll stay after 30 years. And um, my background includes uh, having worked in human resources at Arco for 10 years. And then when I left there, I started my own private practice of psychotherapy, um, only to find I re- really wasn't cut out to be a therapist. Uh, <laughs> it was when I wanted to put my hands around my clients' necks and say, like, how many times do we that. have to talk talk about these same things? And I realized I really should be, like, doing something else. And then I shifted to executive coaching, where which has really... Uh-huh been what I've done for the past, um, oh, 15, actually 20 years now. And so I have a business in Pasadena called Corporate Coaching International. We do executive coaching, team building, leadership development. Uh, In addition to writing my books, I'm also a keynote speaker. Okay, great. Uh, So I was going to say, it would have been such a shame to throw away all that schooling that it took to get your PhD, but I'm glad you've made great use of it. Yeah, I actually think I made better use of it for me. Great, great. So, Carol, what about you? Well, good afternoon. Um, I am from New York City, New York, New York, although um, today I'm calling in from Chicago, and I have an eclectic background, either eclectic or confused, depending on your point of view. I'm trained <laughs> as a lawyer, and I actually uh, practiced law for uh, some years, and but before that had been um, involved with training and development, particularly in the financial services industry, and um, had an opportunity to develop an expertise in training both men and women in corporate America to negotiate more successfully on behalf of their employers. And in that work, Um, I noticed what I felt were gender-correlated differences in the ways that people tended to approach and conduct the negotiation sessions that we were uh, simulating in this uh, pretty rigorous three-day program. And I thought I would write a book on this subject because I found it really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And um, in the course of doing the research to start writing a book, I came across the scholarly work of the woman who co-authored my first book, um, whose name is Dr. Deborah Kolb, and she is was at the time a professor at the Simmons School of Management in Boston and a program uh, fellow at the Program on Negotiation at Harvard Law School. And I politely stalked her until she agreed to see <laughs> me, 
and um, the rest is history. Our first, our book together uh, called Her Place at the Table, A Woman's Guide to Negotiating Five Key Challenges to Leadership Success, probably the longest book title in American publishing history, <laughs> was published uh, originally in 2004, and then we um, updated it and published it in paperback in 2010. And Lois and I met because her um, corner office, Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office book, and my book, my first book, came out around the same time. And we actually met at a conference where we were sitting beside one another signing books. Right, Lois? That was exactly right. And we just kind of knew we were kindred spirits, and we stayed in touch and wound up writing a book together. Well, that is terrific. So, so tell us who you wrote this book for. What what was the profile, Carol? Well, I think that the profile um, that we had in mind was really any woman and every woman. But I particularly was very interested in writing a book that um, included some of the negotiation skills tips, if you will, um, for professional women. Because I think, um, very strong opinion on this, that you know one of the things that we talk about when we talk about advancing women in corporate America, in law, you know, in, in the professions, and, and any other um, sort of advancement of women, is that we don't necessarily um, take into account the reality that women need to negotiate in their personal lives um, for things that make them enabled, if you will, to be successful in their professional lives. And so, right. you know, suggesting, for example, that women need to negotiate for flexibility in the workplace without also suggesting that women need to also negotiate at home for support if they decide flexibility is not the way they want to go, I think is a giant mistake. Right, right. Well, let me let me just kind of frame the book for our listeners uh, because there is so much meat in this book. We aren't even going to be able to scratch the surface uh, in the short time that we have together today. But basically, you have broken uh, the the contents of the book into seven major strategies. And let let's just uh, quickly go through the the high points of each of those because you you lay out within each of these strategies a number of tactics for achieving uh, the stated strategy. So perhaps uh, you guys can just contribute, um, you know, as we go along, maybe your favorite story or or whatever you feel is the most important thing about each strategy. So let's dive right into the first one, which is evaluating the past and envisioning your future. Yeah, you know, we felt it was really important to start at a place where women take a look at what gets in their way of knowing what they want. Because when we talk about nice girls just don't get it, it's kind of a double entendre that nice girls don't get that they have to change their behavior to get what they want. And many times they don't get it because of old messages. Those old messages can be from parents. They they could be messages, you know, going into a marriage you initially had or a quid pro, pro, pro quo you had going into a marriage. Um, but that, you know, for many of us, when we don't have the things that we want most in life, it's often because 
there's some kind of block that's in our way. And we really need to be able to overcome that block or that obstacle um, in order to define what it is we do want. And what Carol and I have found in our careers is that, you know, you can tell women, hey, you need to ask for what you want. But they can't ask if they don't know what it is. And if they don't know why they don't know what it is, then that's the place to start. And I would add to that that, you know, it seems very simple to know what you want. And in reality, sometimes it's very complicated. I mean, we could tell the story, Lois, of the uh, when the we were on the Today Show, and one of the questions that was sent in um, for us to respond to was a woman whose mother-in-law had lived in her home for the entire length of her 15-year marriage, and um, you know, her her query to us was, "I can't stand it anymore. What should I do?" And, right. You know, <laughs> we, we I think Lois um, very sweetly um, intimated that she probably needed more than our book. But uh, right. <laughs> we, we really, you know, when I look at it from a negotiation point of view, and I think that was one of the really, for me, um, very satisfying parts of writing this book with Lois is that, you know, her background is, is psychology and mine is law. And when I looked at it from a negotiation point of view, I mean, I asked myself and um, we sort of asked her, um, what is it that you really want? I mean, do you want your mother-in-law to really move out? Do you want her perhaps to spend more time with one of your um, husband's siblings? Do you want her to perhaps contribute more financially? Um, do you want her to refrain from feeling compelled to um, discipline your children and make comments about your cooking? Um, so, you know, <laughs> any of those things might be um, a less radical solution, if you will, than the one that she had originally thought Right, she needed. Well, you know, and I, and I think it is so common for us as women, um, you know, someone will say, okay, you need to write down your goals. And, and so we will sit down, and at that moment in time, we will articulate those goals. And maybe we've worked through the past, and maybe we haven't yet dealt with that. But I, I've found uh, in my own life recently, I had I had written down my goals, but they didn't go far enough, which meant that at the time I first wrote them, I needed to kind of put a tickler in my in my calendar to revisit them and and actually a crisis came up that caused me to revisit those goals but but I think you're you're so right that we do need to envision that future but it isn't a once and done thing and I'm hoping that that that's kind of what comes up here is is that this is a process it's not a destination yeah I think we absolutely talk about that like we have one section actually on it's okay to change your mind. You know that that you know a lot of times for women they get so much pushback when they when they make a choice, you know. And the example I used, you know, at the top of this interview, which was, you know, my whole life all I ever wanted to do was be a therapist. And when I realized, you know what? I don't I finally achieved it and I didn't want it. I had no idea what to do because I didn't think I had the right to change my mind at that point. So, you know, I think women need to give themselves permission to uh, be something other than what other people want or what they thought they may have wanted. Because, as you said, it's kind of a, we are works in progress. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
So the next strategy is about building relationships that work for you. And and I know we all have stories of relationships that have acted more like the sand inside of the uh the uh, shell that causes the great pearl than, you know, than relationships that are symbiotic right out of the gate. So so tell us what you mean by build relationships that actually work for you. Well, you know, it's interesting that women are really outstanding at building relationships. They're not good at leveraging them, okay, that, you know, we have high emotional intelligence as compared to men, and we don't lever- leverage that to our advantage so that we don't necessarily, um, we're not necessarily willing to um, ask people for the things that we really want. Or we sometimes, we've got this relationship built and we don't necessarily see that, you know, it's not an equal relationship here. That either that power, person has more power than I have or I have more power and I need to somehow shift the dynamic of the relationship so that, you know, women need to, to understand that building relationships is not a soft skill. As a matter of fact, it's a skill that, you know, everybody should be able to do more of. And, and I'll just give a quick example. You know, just today uh, a colleague of mine was telling me that her business was down and we had talked about maybe she should contact this other colleague and it was and it was interesting because she 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 called me and she said you know I called but this other colleague said she didn't have time until after January to talk to me and I said well isn't that interesting because you are usually the one who had no time to talk to her so uh-huh. so again it's like what you put into relationships is what you're going to get out and you need to make them work for you and Carol I know you have something to add to this too well, yeah, I mean, I do think that, you know, I couldn't agree with Lois more in terms of the the issue of leveraging relationships, being um, able to make sure that, you know, there's reciprocity in the relationships, that you are giving and you are getting what you need, and certainly the power dynamic is not always going to be um, equal at every moment in time, but over, you know, the course of time that things work well. And, you know, one of the things that I've noticed, and I think it's, it's um it's something that we need to be aware of is that sometimes we overinvest in relationships. Um, sometimes we think that, you know, wishing and a hoping is going to change things, and we are reluctant to, whether it's an employer or a personal relationship, say, you know, this used to work, um, and it's not working anymore, and I need to make a different right. decision. Or it never worked, and I'm not going to invest more time um, in something that simply is not going to change. I mean, you know, from a negotiation perspective, it, it's the concept of sunk costs. So sometimes we get so invested um, because we've invested already that we re- are reluctant to say, you know what, it's time to walk away. Right. You know, the other point in this whole section about strategy, and and, uh, again, for our listeners, there are at least 15 and in some cases 20 uh, different tactics for each of these strategies that we're talking about. And and my favorite is really uh, tactic number, uh, I think it's 16. Uh, My eyes aren't so great. Uh, Choose your inner circle wisely and well. And I know that this is something that has made so much difference to my life. And, you know, this is really that circle of people that become the board of directors of your life. And and I, I think that those folks who are successful 
typically have that kind of infrastructure in their lives. And it's not just a single mentor. It really is that in, inner circle. Is there anything that you guys would like to add to that? No, I, I think that you're absolutely right about that, that we really need to embrace the yaysayers and marginalize the naysayers because the naysayers really aren't going to add much to, to us. And I didn't say totally get rid of them because sometimes it's, you know, the naysayer could be your mother or your mother-in-law, your husband or your significant other. And so I'm just saying you need to marginalize the negative impact that they have on your right. decisions in your life. Right. That is so true. And, and, you know, this leads right into the next strategy, which is about managing expectations. Yes. Carol, I wasn't sure whether you wanted to pick up with that. Well, you know, I think that um, it is so important to manage your expectations um, at work. And, Carol, can I get you to speak up just a little bit? Oh, sure. Is that any better? Yes, thank you. Okay. Um, You know, one of the things that I think we, we really need to do is to be very clear about, and we talk about it in this section, about creating boundaries and being very clear about what those boundaries are and communicating them to people both, you know, in your personal life and your professional life. I gave a talk a couple of weeks ago in D.C., and um, one of the women who was uh, in the audience confessed in front of the whole group, which I thought was really quite interesting, that um, even though she was the general counsel of a fairly large um, company there, that um, she had to create boundaries with her mom because her mom would call several times, you know, during the workday with a question that definitely was not of an urgent nature and would get frustrated when she wasn't able to immediately turn her attention um, to that particular question that her mom had. And so, you know, the, the whole idea of making sure that people understand what you need and, um, being able to communicate that in a way that they can hear it is really about, you know, I think the the major takeaway from this particular strategy. Yeah, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, I'm a big believer in good customer service, saying yes to almost everything. But setting boundaries means I say yes, and then there there are, um, you know, there are boundaries within which I will do something. So, for example... You know, if a friend asked me to do a favor, I might say, you know, I'd be happy to do that for you. I just can't do it for you exactly that day. You know, I don't have to turn myself into a pretzel in order to meet someone else's needs. And I think a lot of times for women trying to be the nice girl, that's what they think they have to do. Right, right. So the next strategy is about crafting meaningful messages. And uh, the the term messages, I, I'd like you to clarify a little bit what you mean here. What what kind of communication are we talking about? Well, we're really talking about all communication. You know, one of the things that we say is that you need to prepare for every message that you're, you're going to, I'm sorry, let me backtrack. You need to prepare for every presentation that you give. And every time you open your mouth, it's a presentation. And again, it could be at work, but it could also be with um, a significant other or a mother-in-law or whoever it is, that we take people seriously who communicate concisely, clearly, cogently, 
so that, you know, if you want to be taken seriously in your relationships, then you need to be able to communicate in, you know, one of the tips we give is in headlines. So that, you know, rather than saying maybe to my partner, you know, what would you think about going out to this new Italian restaurant tonight for dinner? Well, I've just given up all my power in that communication. Right. You know, because I've asked the question, and then when my partner says, you know what, I don't really want Italian tonight, I want to go over here, I've given up all of my leverage. So to be able to say something as clearly as, there's a new Italian restaurant I'd like to try tonight. Uh, my recommendation is that's where we should go. Now, you know, your partner can still say to you, no, I don't want to go there. Right. But at least you have a place to start that has been very clear about what you want. Yeah, and, you know, you are so right. I uh, have had a number of discussions this week about this very topic because I realized that uh, in communication with a particular individual who has been a bit of a thorn in in my side, uh, I was always uh, writing apologetically about something I didn't even need to apologize for. And, you know, and, and he's not someone I want to be uh, communicating with that way. I really want to be seen as, as having that level of strength. And um, so I have totally changed the tone of my communication with him because I, I realized that that was happening after I was talking to somebody else about apologetic communication. So, you know, I, I think that level of strength uh, in, in our messaging uh, really can make the difference in how we feel about ourselves, let alone how other people uh, think about us. Oh, absolutely. But but we have, we, you know, we do have to avoid those mistakes that we're kind of describing, apologizing, asking questions, asking permission, using too many words. These are just a few of the ways that we um, diminish our, our uh, credibility. Right, right. Absolutely, and, and because you know, one this one things, is, I'm sorry. Go I'm ahead. Sorry. I was going to say the the other thing that I think is um, really kind of interesting and different about this strategy, as we described in the book, is that we talk about um, choosing not only your words and how you present yourself verbally and in writing, but thinking about the methodology that you use. So not just defaulting to whatever the easiest and, and you know sort of traditional way of communicating is. Um, and we see this, you know, with people today. I mean, I see a lot of younger people, particularly, who are texting um, what I would consider things that need to be discussed at least on the phone, and if not in person. Um, right. You know, all kinds of uh, you know really important relationship types of things. But the default might be text. You need to think exactly. about that. Exactly. Yeah, and I, I think that that's that's not only a gender thing, but as you said, it's a it's a generational thing that I think is going to change the way corporate communications happen, uh, you know, amongst uh, people within departments and and you know across companies, and and I've seen it even in my own small company about I have a a a love for communicating via email because I want other people to be able to respond to it in their own time. Um, but not realizing that that's not always the preferred method of communication, so uh, adjusting that. And uh, this particular section, I think, is so important. I'd like to read a couple of the, the tactics, just uh, the titles. Speak early and often. Speak in headlines with taglines. Inform, don't ask. Ask open-ended questions. Listen to get what you want choose the right vehicle, and it goes on and on. But, again, these are such uh, incredibly practical 
tactics uh, that uh, I encourage everybody who's got uh, any kind of communication issues uh, to grab it if, if only for strategy number four. So strategy number five is prepare for pushback. So you've gotten your messaging down, you've dealt with your demons in the past, you know, you've you've decided who you are, and you've you've surrounded yourself with strong people, and you're managing expectations. So we still get pushback. So now, what do we do? <laughs> well, I think the first thing to do is to recognize that um, you know pushback is natural. Um, some of the strategies that we're suggesting here are um, quite different, perhaps, than the way the status quo has been, and um, it, it is in your best interest not to be a nice girl uh, because you're probably not getting what you need and what you deserve and what you want, but not necessarily the same thing holds for the people in your life for whom you have been a nice girl. And so I think it's you know Im- imperative that you realize that change is, cha- is a challenge, not only for you, but for the people um, in your life, and um, you don't take it personally. Um, so we suggest a number of things in terms of uh, preparation and um, being quite practical around uh, anticipating what you're going to hear that you don't want to hear and thinking about how you're going to respond so that you don't have um, what we call a V8 moment. You know, when you walk away from a conversation and all of a sudden you're brilliant, you think about, yeah. wow, oh, I, I could have said, said that. <laughs> I could have said that. I could have had a V8. Um, exactly. Too late, you know, um, you need to think about what you might, want, you might hear that you don't want to hear uh, before you hear it. And um, and anticipate you know how you're going to respond. Right. All right. We talked a little bit um, in in the section about surrounding yourself with the right people. You know about about networking and and leveraging relationships. So strategy number six is use and share your connections. Yeah. You know, relationships are power when you think about it, and you want to use it as currency. And I'll, you know, and I'll just give you an example. Um, I met this morning with a woman who's just starting her own business, and uh, she just wanted to talk to me about, you know, how she might be able to bring in more business and so forth. And she's actually someone who does a lot of volunteer work, and I'm involved in the volunteer community. So, like, you know, I really wanted to do something for this woman because I knew at some point I may need to call on her. So I was able to introduce her to this guy. His name's Carl Terzi, and he's here in Los Angeles, who's like a master networker. He brings people together, like, every single day of the business week to kind of meet and sh- share their business experiences and, and so forth. And so I was able to introduce her to Carl. So, you know what, it does no good for me to have these relationships. I might know Carl, but if I don't use it um, and share it with people who need it, then I don't have any currency or or I'm, like, losing an opportunity to collect currency for later when I'll need it. Now, I may not need anything from this woman ever, but, but I know that I might. And so being able to make that introduction kind of puts a little chip in my account that now I have the right to cash in at some point if I need it. Now, in case this sounds a little um, smarmy, you know, I don't do it because when I know I might get back something in the future, I really do it because it's the right thing to do. But my experience has shown me that it's going to come and it's going to pay me back somehow when I least expect it. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So that that kind of brings us to the the final one, and I, and I think that I'm so glad you made that that clarification because it it does sound a little bit like you know we we give so we can get when when really it's giving uh, that is such an important value. So strategy number seven, uh, the final one, and I I, I think uh, actually the most important is to live your values. Uh, so talk to us a little bit about how that changes us uh, from being the nice girl in, into the person who actually does get the respect we deserve and the success we've earned and the life we want. Well, I think if you're not living your values, you're not living a rich life in all ways. And a lot of times we get into situations, sometimes it's friendships, sometimes it's jobs, sometimes it's a marriage, um, that somehow is inconsistent with our values. And we stay in it way too long. It, you know, it's something Carol has taught me, and she alluded to earlier, which was the sunken cost dilemma. Wait, did you mention that earlier, Carol? I did. Yeah, I thought so. You know, the sunken cost dilemma, which is, you know, I've put so much into this relationship so far, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant to walk away from it. And so we stay in it much longer than may be healthy for us. Right. And so, you know, it's not as if any one of these strategies is independent of the others. So that I may realize that, you know what, my mother-in-law is toxic for me. And I'm not living my values when I'm around her because I'm not honest, I'm not straightforward, she intimidates me. So I may need to set boundaries with her. I may need to craft more meaningful messages so that when you put this together, you're really living the life you want in all ways. And and I love that because, you know, again, I, I think one of the things that when we come across bumps in the road in, in relationships and in particular uh, when we somehow feel taken advantage or that we haven't gotten the respect that we deserved, um, there is an amount of self-assessment that we have to do into making sure that we are living true to those values. And, uh, you know, again, I've I've just recently gone through something very much like that where, uh, someone's perception of me was so different than what was in my heart. And I thought, you know, why in the world am I being seen this way? And, and uh, you know, kept thinking about that perception as reality, uh, kind of truism that, that we live to. But really reality is reality. And what's in your heart and what's what's a part of your values has to be uh, seen in, in your behavior. And so I think this particular uh, strategy, again, is, is just so important. And, and so I do want to uh, read through a couple of those before we wind up. Go back to basics. Identify your non-negotiables. Send guilt on a trip. Laugh out loud. Manage your brand. Accept compliments. Be proactive and not passive. Don't have mistake amnesia. Be an early adopter. Keep up to date. Give back lead from where you are and periodically reassess what's important and create your legacy. And and I'm I'm glad that that's the the final tactic of the book because that's really what uh what the executive girlfriends group cr- tries to stress of leaving a legacy in in everything that we do. And I want to thank you guys so much and I apologize for getting started a little bit late and uh I want to be respectful of your time. So uh, before I stop the recorded portion of today's Executive Girlfriends Group call, I just want to remind our listeners that the book is Nice Girls Just Don't Get It. This is from the best-selling author of Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office, and we have a previous Executive Girlfriends Group interview with Lois Frankel. 
and so happy to have her co-author, Carol Frolinger, uh, join us today. Can, uh, can you guys tell us the, the best way for our listeners uh, to find out more about the two of you, whether it's following you on social media or is there a site for the book that, uh, that they could go to? Absolutely. So thank you for asking, Chicky. The, the book site is um, com. You can um, like us on our fake Facebook page, and um, you can follow us on Twitter at Nice Girls Book. Oh, great. All right, terrific. And uh, we will make sure that all of that information is also on the Executive Girlfriends Group private site. And you guys are welcome to join us any Friday. Uh, we have our calls every week at 4.30, and we have a different author every week. And it has just been great to get to know you guys a little bit better and and hope we can uh, follow your activities and uh, learn a little bit more about how we uh, can take that nice girl thing that our, our uh, mothers planted in us so well and turn it to our advantage. Thank you so much, Chicky. Okay. Thank you, guys, and I'm going to terminate the uh, recorded portion, and we will have the rest of the call with our members. Okay, great. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Okay, Absolutely. thanks, guys. Ah, bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye now.